0: Want to cut cooling bills without cutting comfort? lower utility costs and enjoy cool and consistent comfort with a highly efficient air conditioner from Luxair with Luxair's consumer rebate program educators, nurses, first responders, military personnel, and veterans can enjoy exclusive rebates on qualifying purchases of Luxair equipment. To learn more call G team mechanical at 765-376-3042 or visit gteamhvac.com they'll recommend a system tailored to your home that provides comfort, energy savings, and lasting performance. (laughs)
1: This is Trackside with Kirk Cabin and Kevin Lee. Here we outside, go. They go side by side outside, into three.
2: Outside. Coming for outside, the line. Coming outside, for the flag. Outside. Hornings has got a bind out, but outside, Barron now pushes on that. Barron outside. Barron
1: takes it. Barron takes the win from second place. Alec Barron has won. Who will win in Kansas?
0: Weldon trying to push Canon up. Kanon trying to push Weldon down. And the guy that's going to play a role in this is probably Vitor Mira, who will he side on to sort of help Slipstream? As they come out of turn number four, it's Dan Weldon on the inside. Tony Kanaan, his teammate. Vitor Mira tries to slip to the low side. Can he get it done? No! It's Tony Kanaan at the line! Closest finish in IRL history was here last year.
1: Will it be closer this year? Hornets and Herta. They hammer for turn three. Come through the Corner just ahead. Dixon closes down in behind them, and they're gonna go three wide at the line, and it's Hornish! Hornish takes it at the line. Dixon gets second, and Herta drops to third.
0: Hey there, welcome. Thanks for joining us tonight on the program. So forget 2023 or even 2024 silly season. 2025 started today. We'll explain. Actually, we won't forget about the 23-driver lineup. We'll update the latest possibilities. Some odds and ends we haven't been able to get to. And your questions tonight on the program. It's Trackside, 93.5, the fan in Indianapolis. Josh Molnix is in our Indianapolis studios. Congratulations to our uh, former producer, still the IndyCar radio producer, Sam Rumpsa. He got married over the weekend. Congrats, to Sam. I'm Kevin Lee. Kurt Kavan is with us as well. Before I forget, we need to do some show notes. Next week, you won't find us. So we're off next week. Thanksgiving is coming up in a week and two days. And there just wasn't really any room on the schedule. Our only option was something like 9 p.m. And, Kurt, that's past your bedtime. So we couldn't do 9 p.m. So I thought, you know what? We'll ask the news fairy to hold off for a little while. Now, with that said... Uh, I think there's a confirmation for an Indy 500 deal coming up later this week that we'll have to save for a couple of weeks, and I'm sure there will be other news as well, but it will all save, and I'll give you Kurt's home phone number. You can call him next Tuesday night. And then the following week, on Tuesday the 29th, we're not on until 8 o'clock. That's a one-hour show from 8 until 9 on Tuesday the 29th, and then the rest of the year up until Christmas, Tuesday 7 until 9, we'll take the... Tuesday off between Christmas and New Year's, which I think might be the 27th, but whatever the, the, the week between Christmas and New Year's would be. I'll, I'll confirm that here. Yeah, that's Tuesday the 27th. No show. In past years, we've taken two weeks off. This year, since we're off on Thanksgiving week, just the one week, so we'll be back on tuesday january 3rd to get the new year started and i know we also are set for tuesdays in the coming year so please make a note of it also on the program later tonight you know i know it's an indycar show and we occasionally touch on f1 but i'm going to spend a little more time on f1 later tonight in the show because we have the chance to talk to steve Matchett, uh and and i really enjoy talking to steve Matchett. we got to know him a little bit when he covered some indycar races with us on NBC, and, and we'll talk about an event that he and David Hobbs and Lee Diffie organize. Uh, Ricky Carmichael, uh motocross champion, the GOAT, as they call him, is going to be one of the guests. So, this is near Stanford, Connecticut, where Diff lives in Ridgefield on Tuesday, or I'm sorry, on November 28th. I don't know the day of the week. And then on the 29th in Sellersville, Pennsylvania, which is a little bit north of Philadelphia. So you can check Diff's social media pages. I'll tweet this out as well with the link for that for ticket information and so forth. But we'll talk with uh, Steve about that and much more later on in the program tonight. So we got some essentials out of the way. How are you, Kurt?
1: Good to uh, be here. Good to see you. uh, It's been a good work week already, and it's only Tuesday, so uh, looking forward to you know this holiday season it feels like things have slowed down a little bit but as you know we always have plenty of things to talk about and already things uh as you mentioned things uh when 2023 and 2025 already we're starting to see materialize so you know the news fairy just keeps on ticking all through the year i remember when when we started the show in 2008 Uh, There was some concern that there wouldn't be much news in the second half of the calendar year. And lo and behold, we just kind of kept rolling and the station kept rolling. And here we are, what, 13, 15 years later, still with news almost every week. So let's begin.
0: This year, January, is going to be a little bit of the challenge. So we're going to have to we're going to have some guests in January because I think everything is going to be all buttoned up by the time we get to Christmas for regular season deals maybe there's still one lingering or a part-time deal and i think the indy 500 might be all but buttoned up and there's always the chance of something else percolating after that but i do think we're going to stay busy until christmas and maybe we'll just start with that uh unique news of not a confirmation but sort of a confirmation a plan for a 16 year old for 2025, news release from Ed Carpenter Racing today, Josh Pearson named his first ever Ed Carpenter Racing development driver with plans for 2025 IndyCar campaign. And there are a lot of nuggets within this release that we'll get to a little later on uh, within the team that confirm some things. But uh, let's start with who Josh Pearson is. He has not driven above the USF 2000 level. He did not drive in the road to Indy this past year because oh he was doing things like the 24 Hours of Le Mans, the Rolex 24, the full IMSA Endurance Championship schedule in an LMP2 car. So he drives for Zach Brown's team. Ah, yet another Zach Brown driver. Oh my I can't goodness. believe McLaren <laughs> hasn't signed him up yet, but he drives for Zach Brown's uh, United Autosport sports car team in the World Endurance Championship and they won the the WEC race at Sebring last year he's got really good teammates and uh finished up the full season here this year he's going to do that again in 2023 along with a part-time uh quarter in the tip jar indy lights slash indy next so i'm going to still say indy lights for a little while in case those miss the release but indy lights is now called indy next indy nxt one of the nine cars for hmd not every race, because the WEC schedule will be his full-time plan. He'll do uh, this Indy Lights program, and he's going to start testing an Indy car for Ed Carpenter's team in 2023 as well. The plan is two years in Indy next, Indy Lights, and then going to IndyCar in 2025. And you know, I, I doubt there's anything firm in that, but it it states a plan so here's what i'll say about this because i'm sure some people are like wow that's bold to sign a 16 year old uh, i'll say this one i think josh is very talented yeah, yes obviously josh has a good budget behind him but there was a lot of conversation about him for the rolex 24 last year because he was 15 years old and he might have kind of slipped in that he had already been approved to run the mall because he was going to be 16 and one of the theories was, I'm not sure that we want a, a 15-year-old, but we saw he was good for Le Mans and kind of missed it. So, okay, we'll let him go. So my point at the time was, yes, he's 15, but I felt confident from people that I would talked to and watching him a little bit that he was, uh if we're going to cross people off of doing the Rolex 24, Josh Pearson was not at all near the the bottom of that list. You know, there are plenty of amateur drivers uh, and even some young up-and-coming drivers that weren't as talented as Josh. He'd done a lot of testing in the car. He's coached by Steven Simpson. I trust what Steven tells me and just kind of watch him. And he did fine. He did fine in the Rolex 24, did fine throughout the season. Is he a future superstar? I don't know, but I do know he has some talent. He's pretty good. So here's why I say this is a win-win for both programs. What's every racing team owner looking for in the ideal situation, Kurt? Uh, what's next
1: <laughs> is that where you were going because no you know, in what- a
0: in a driver when you when you hire a driver, what are you looking for? What well, are the think- assets that you want ideally unless you're you know if you are team penske or your well if you're team Penske, that's maybe arrow McLaren are those the only teams yeah that have no one that is not at times asked to bring some budget so if you're not one of those teams. What are the multiple attributes you're looking for?
1: Yeah, obviously you're looking for budget. That would, That's the number one thing. You're also looking for, you know, talent. You have to have yes. a certain level of talent. Uh, but, you know, Josh, at least at this point in his career, and as you look at him in a five-year kind of plan, as Ed's, uh, you know, looking at this, that that he has both of those things. Now, does he have the level that you need for – in both of those categories for the future, well, that you know that'll be determined. But um, he's certainly somebody worth taking a chance on. Certainly somebody is, and and this is what I was getting to. You're always trying to look at what's down the road, who could be available to you sure. if you can get in on somebody early uh, and he develops. Uh, you know, Andretti had that kind of approach with Zach Beach. Uh, that was an example of somebody who kind of started with the program early and they watched him come up through the ranks. And, and you know, we can discuss and, and argue, I suppose, what happened when he got to the IndyCar Series, but they were kind of behind him and, and made, it, made it happen. Uh, so this will be a fun watch. I think it's good for the IndyNext Series uh, to have someone that people, you know, clearly are identifying as somebody who could be next. Uh, it'll be fun to, you know, we've talked about Josh before. By the way, he's from Oregon. Uh, I don't know if, if, if you said that, but you know, having, having an American that, uh, is young and, and intriguing to people will, will be good for not only at Carpenter and for motorsports kind of in a broader sense, but also for this series as uh as he develops and we'll see what the path looks like i mean uh can he take the steps necessary he's driven as you mentioned an lmp2 car so it's you know he's he's had some uh some some big equipment experience and um and he's had it at a high level so uh in terms of success so i think this is this is kind of a win-win for everybody
0: I think it's a smart move for Ed Carpenter Racing. Uh, I'm going to guess there is an out uh, if it doesn't develop the way it needs to develop. But if he's good to go along with the budget that he appears to have, there's going to be a long line of suitors sure. that will want him in 2025. So it, it's kind of like a college football coach or a college basketball coach offering a scholarship to a seventh or eighth grader. You know, because you want to get in uh, ahead of time, and I don't know the legality of that at this point, but you get what I'm saying. You you want to get in on the ground floor. So if he continues to develop and the fact, you know, I don't know what he's paying this year, but, for example, last year doing the IMSA Endurance Program uh, and doing WEC, that's an IndyCar budget, uh, if not more. So I believe the family has the money to be able to do this. Does it last forever? I have no idea what their scenario is, but it seems like it's there. So for Ed, great. Uh, and it, it doesn't necessarily mean that anyone's get shoved out. If Connor Daly and Renus VK continue to do well and there's budget behind them, then they'll become three or four cars in 2023. There's plenty of ramp 2025, plenty of ramp up time for that to take place now for the driver's perspective, you touched on this a little bit. I like this. And I think we maybe can see more of this. We talk more about there needs to be, and this is what Penske entertainment is doing by taking over Indy lights, Indy next. They want to work the two paddocks together, try to merge some assets and so forth. And this has nothing to do with the sanctioning body. This is just people taking it upon themselves and it's not a bad idea. It's, it's no different than what happens in Formula One. In Formula One, some teams are hiring development drivers because they want to have them in their program and have the rights to them. In other cases, it's the driver's backers or family paying to be a, quote, development driver, and you get to wear the shirt around. And whatever the scenario is, there is value for the driver. Because if you're a driver below IndyCar... You're trying to appease the people that are paying for it, and it may not all be family money. There may be some other people that invested in Josh or uh, other people that they want to get involved moving forward. Well, this is a way to use more IndyCar assets. You are entwined with an IndyCar team, and you can use their hospitality. You can hang out with the IndyCar pro. So uh, a lot of wins there, a lot of opportunities, and the fact that you get to kind of test a car for a couple of years – that's all good. I'm hoping we see more of that, more uh, incentives for IndyCar teams to be established or have a relationship with an Indy Lights, Indy Next Team. This is not a, a relationship with a team, but it's with a driver, and that's just as good. Similar situation to what Kiffin Simpson has with the Ganassi team. And that one is more of an, an above board relationship. You'll notice that the sponsor on Kiffin Simpson's. Indy Next Car and what he had in Indy Lights last year is also now a Ganassi sponsor, so that's tied with Kiffin's dad, and that's just good business It adds more value to Kiffin Simpson's program, and and he's going to learn some things just hanging around the IndyCar Car program. So good on them. That's that's interesting to know that we're already looking into 2025. So at the bottom of this release, did you you probably did read all the way through, but everybody else may not have or may have just seen it on social media. Remember last year, we didn't really get confirmation on what Ed Carpenter's plans were until I remember asking him at St. Pete and then said on NBC that that was the first that I saw 100% confirmed that he was going to race at Texas. And then later on, you know, we got confirmation in May that he was going to do the rest of the Oval schedule. In this release, it says Carpenter will join Daly and VK for the four Oval races, expanding ECR's lineup to three cars for those events. So that's good, too. That we now know, I suspected that was the case, but it's always good to see it on paper that that is the plan, even in November from the season before. So uh, good stuff there. I find that interesting. And we'll see if more teams try to do some type of, you know, nothing else. It's a business relationship. Uh, Most of these drivers that get to this level have pretty good business connections with their family. So this allows an IndyCar team to to use some of those connections and maybe do some business-to-business deals with their other partners.
1: You know, it also I hadn't thought too much yet about about uh, Josh's sponsors and backers being having access to the IndyCar paddock and the IndyCar hospitality and, and the things that come with being associated with an IndyCar team like Ed Carpenter Racing. But it also is about just kind of developing that reputation of I'm – in this next program, so to speak, I mm-hmm. am, I am targeted. You know, you he can now go to if he couldn't already and say to, to say to these backers and potential backers, perhaps even more importantly, look, I have a path. I now have a path to IndyCar. I, I'm not just some 16 year old who some people believe, or I'm telling you, I believe uh, that I'm going to get to IndyCar as I start to build, you know, the, the, the war chest, if you will, uh, for, for budget moving forward, I have a path. This is what it is. This is a team that, that uh, has had tremendous success in qualifying at the Indy 500 and, and in the Indy 500 itself. So this is real. This is not just me saying so this is not just the media writing that, 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 you know, I competed at this level in sports car racing. This is my path and it's established and it's recognized. And bear, bear in mind, this isn't just Ed Carpenter. This is also Tony George. And, and it's, it's a team that, that has uh, connections on many levels. So this is a good thing for Josh, both on the track and off the track. So I, I think all those things go into uh, explaining why this is an important day for, for Josh Pearson.
0: That's, that's a great point, and I'm my guess is his family is paying for most of his racing. That's how most of the time it works at the lower levels, but no matter how much money a family has, and most of the time it runs out at some point, but no matter how much they have, they'd prefer not to spend it. So the goal here would be if you're investing in the kid in his career, and the hope is that he eventually makes a really good salary and or has partners paying for it, and now this is an opportunity to showcase him another team owner uh, an active driver is vouching for him and how about selling a future program when you take him to the indy 500 uh, and qualifying this coming may and oh by the way that's the team that josh is likely to drive for they have three cars in the top nine you know that that kind of thing which is likely to be the case so so good on them happy to hear that i think that's positive news all the way around so let's talk about 2023 rather than 2025 we talked some last week about one of the the only uncertainties is what dale coin racing is going to do with seat number two and seat number three uh a or at least a part-time seat uh david mulcher lopez wrote since we last spoke last tuesday uh, a little more certainty in this path while david malukas is staying on for a second season in the series with team it appears That the full-time coin with Rick Ware racing seat will be taken by Formula 2 race winner Marcus Armstrong to Kumasato's funding, again largely from Honda Japan and Panasonic, will likely be sufficient only for an oval-only program in 2023 as Honda seeks to expand his role with the Japanese uh, program. Sato's longtime manager, Steve Fusick, told Motorsport.com, no final decision has been made, but we're just waiting for Dale and Rick to put the final pieces together. Not sure why it's taking a while, but everyone now knows what we have. And what we don't have, so I'd say we're in the final throes of putting the deal together. It also says that Sato may doing be doing some sports car racing. Steve says, but yes, I think it's a part-time deal. And then we'll combine that with some IMSA options. One is with an accurate NSX GT3 team. Steve says, I can't go into details there, but it's not Rick Ware's team. That would have been the first thing we all guessed. And then Steve also says one is with Rick Ware Racing's LMP2 entry that we've seen Cody Ware run at times, and in other times it's just uh, other drivers as well. So that's the latest on that front. I've heard differing information on Marcus Armstrong. I I suspect that David Malsher Lopez is correct, but I've heard, and by the way, since this was written, Marcus Armstrong tested uh, in the World Endurance Championship yesterday in their young drivers shootout. In, in a high-level car. So uh, I'm not sure what his plans are. Well, I think
1: the big news there is, is, and I think this is what's really important to me, is that we see Takuma Sato back in the Indy 500. I had a chance to uh, to host uh, an event at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway over the weekend with James Henchcliffe. It was honoring the safety patrol uh, employees who work for Indianapolis you know, Motor Speedway events. And Hinchcliffe was asked, if you're leading the last lap of the Indy 500, what are the, who are the three drivers you don't want to see on your tail coming to the last lap? Takuma Sato was in his group. He, yeah. he, said, he said, I'll give you three. And, uh, you know, they include, I was trying to think who the third, oh, he said, Tony Kanaan, yeah. Alexander Rossi, and Takuma Sato. And then he said, I'm not sure it's in that order, <laughs> truthfully. But it but it's uh you know, Sato at the Indy five hundred, I said at the time, I said, you know, he could be a three or four time winner at this point. And absolutely that's the case. So Sato in the Indy five hundred is what we want to see. He has consistently uh been a threat to win this race over the last decade. Obviously could have won in, in twenty twelve, was was right there, finished third, then a couple years later, and then has the two wins in seventeen. And in 2020, Uh, so having having Takuma in the Indy 500 is is important to me, and I think it's important to the event. So good for that.
0: And there's no reason that he cannot continue. I'm sure at this point in life, it may be a year to year, but there's no reason that he can't continue to do this for several more years. And if I'm Takuma Sato, uh, I think I'm I'm okay with this situation. It didn't go great last year running the full schedule, but he'll be a factor in the indy 500 he'll be a factor on the ovals it's not to say that he can't still run road and street course races uh, but it's you know a different program than when he was with ray hall letterman and with with andretti and it doesn't always click so i think this is the best chance for success and do some other things in sports cars um and i think this is a win-win situation as well i touched on last week a little bit uh later on about the uh reported uh team changes for dale coin racing and my comment was well we've counted them out before when they've lost key critical people if, if you didn't hear they're going to lose uh, according to uh, racer.com ross bunnell to ganassi is dixon's engineer and todd phillips uh their longtime crew chief who went back to the newman haas days before that is going to go over and, and take over alexander rossi's car with Errol mclaren but i would not count out dale coin racing they'll figure out a way
1: Absolutely, Coin is. Uh, we've probably said that after about three engineers have left, maybe more. Uh, I think back all the way back. If you go all the way back to when Bill Pappas uh, left the program, so that's been pretty close to a decade ago. And they've had, you know, obviously success at many different levels uh, since then. So yeah, I, I wouldn't worry about Dale Coin and his uh, savviness in terms of picking people. Uh, who not only can work in their system, but but uh, succeed uh, on, on many different kinds of tracks, particularly Indianapolis.
0: So since we last talked, really in the last couple of weeks, there have been no changes as far as Indy 500 car count is concerned. But I did note this on social media today, that Cusick Motorsports teased news later this week. Uh, so might we have a confirmation for them before the end of the week?
1: Oh, I think so. If if Stephen Wilson isn't named to a to a ride by this time next week, then then I'll be surprised. Uh, you know, just the details of that uh, still to be worked out. M- my sense, I think you do as well. Although I can't speak for you on this, perhaps you got new information. My sense is it's dry on Reinbold, uh, but I don't I don't have that. Uh, on record, uh, I have not seen a press release even in a draft form. So that's just my hunch on it. But, but between between uh, Dryon Reinbold and, and I suppose Dale Coyne's team or, or who else could it be? I guess it could be Hunkos. Uh, but but Hunkos has been making news in Argentina. Uh, I suspect it's it's Dryon Reinbold, if I had to guess right now.
0: That's just my guess. I don't have any uh, sourcing on that at all. Uh, and I haven't even asked anyone. I, I suppose I could call Dennis or I could call Don, but I oh, like to guess things. Yeah, I like to guess run. things a, a little bit more, and I'm just going to guess because it's process of elimination. And I have uh bumped into Ricardo Junco's and talked to him a little bit, and I didn't get the sense that that was on the plane. Their they're plan is a full-time entry in their second car, and I don't know that uh, Stefan and Cusick are – on the path to be a full-time entry at this point for 2023. So, you know, I think Cusick is still, uh, or I'm sorry, Junkos is still kind of in that same list of a lot of the F2 guys, you know, maybe Linus Lundquist, maybe Stingray Robb, Ed Jones, some of those other names uh, on that path. So we'll see if we have something by the time we talk again on that front. So that leaves us what's still open. Uh, we talked about the the coin ride, so that's another Indy 500 ride. A second Dreyer and Reinbold seat, which that seems to be about the only easy way in for one of the Kyles from NASCAR or for Jimmy Johnson. Uh, a Ganassi program, which could either be full time or a one off, and then a fourth for Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan, and that's the path to 33 that's what gets us to 33 and then beyond 33 no actually that'd be 34 if you're counting a coin third car and then beyond that is where why i think it probably stops at 34 but i think it's going to get to 34 beyond that again would be if foyte does a third we said before if there are already 33 or 34 cars i don't see that happening uh Ved carpenter does a fourth maybe big budget comes around. Maybe they would. And if there is a driver that Penske Entertainment feels has to be in the 500 and no one else will run that driver, then maybe there's a scenario there. Or could there be another wild card uh, that we're not thinking of? But that's kind of where we're at. 34, best case scenario, 35. And that's the list as I have for now.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. And I don't think it's Penske running a car and nor do you. So. Uh, I think you've you've kind of boiled it down, and I can't I can't really count beyond thirty four, so I think that's the number I'll stick with until proven otherwise.
0: And I still think thirty four could be entertaining because sure. these would be thirty four quality entries where, where there is no easy answer. And say, yeah, you know, maybe there's a couple. You say, all right, if I have to choose someone, but you're not going to feel very confident about that at all. And it is going to be pucker time for really everybody. For really everybody, something goes wrong. You crash on Thursday, all of a sudden you're in peril for that weekend, no matter who you are uh, in many cases. There are going to be some exceptions, but uh, should be fascinating. All right, we've got other things I want to get to. Some some items we haven't really covered in the Colton Herta, uh extension from a little while ago. A little bit of NASCAR schedule news that I think trickles down. Uh, just a bit. Meyer Shank Racing has some items I want to talk to, and some of your tweets at Kevin Lee twenty three at Kurt Cavan. It's Trackside ninety three five one zero seven five. The fan.
3: Whether it's audiobooks or all time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob two hundred milligrams at KISQALI.com dot com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.
0: Hi, this is Ed Carpenter, and you're listening to Trackside. Thank you for staying with us tonight before we get back into uh, conversation on this, that, and the other in motorsport. Well, this is motorsport as well, but uh, a shout-out to one of the locals, our buddy Dylan Welch, one of my coworkers at NBC. Did you see he's got a deal already for the Chili Bowl next year? He's going to run with my friend Brent Cox's team, Abacus Racing in the Chili Bowl, Uh, getting hired to drive race cars. Dream come true for the young man. And he's
1: good. You know, he's got a chance to do really well. So Dylan, you know, couldn't be more proud of him. He's such a such a good, good man. I started to say young man, but he is young, younger can than call him a young man. He's doing a really nice job. And Vince and Trudy, his parents have done a terrific job with those kids. And and what you see with Vince and uh and Dylan is is really what's real. So good for him.
0: So congrats, Dylan. We'll uh, we'll get more into it. That's what we can talk about a little bit in January, all the interesting names you see at the Chili Bowl down there. All right, let's get back to uh, some of the other notes. I'll, I'll hang on to these for a moment because I want to spend a, a moment on this next tweet that came in today from, and I never know, apologies, whether it's Mitchell uh, or if it's pronounced differently, Campbell, at Cam Soup, FL. He writes and asks what exactly is Penske Entertainment done for IndyCar but put some new paint on some building at the speedway and replace a couple of horse troughs sorry it's time they either step up or step off. So I thought we'd go ahead and address this because uh there have been some rumblings going on and that's kind of par for the course that you know there's there's a honeymoon and then at some point it's hey we want answers we want things to happen we want it to happen Right now. So I guess I'll just start with this answering the, the first part of the question. What has he brought? You know, I would say uh, he's brought stability, certainty, some confidence. And by the way, the certainty at a time when there was not a lot of certainty in anything during the 2020 and 2021 COVID era. Uh, Penske Entertainment has brought back an oval that was dead, that we all liked. Iowa. And made it even better and showed there was a template to maybe add more oval races or events in the future. They also greenlit the street race in Nashville. And I know there are a lot of people that that will tell us, especially the hardcores, oh, that's a terrible event. They keep crashing. Eh. Commercially, business wise, it's a good event. It's a really good event. And we need to hope that continues. Can things be tweaked? Yes, they can. But you've got the basics for a really good, strong event there, namely a downtown venue and a lot of people going. And I know this. It's one that I get asked a lot about. Hey, can I get tickets? Can I get passes? Can I get hospitality for Nashville? And it's one of the most expensive out there. So that tells me supply and demand is pretty good. And then even though we haven't been there yet, I'm going to count Detroit as a win because I think, one, they saw what happened in Nashville with the downtown venue. And, okay, we've already got a pretty good event here in Detroit. What can we do to make it a little bit better? And for those that say they aren't willing to try anything, I think this is trying something. When about 40 or 50% of the uh, seating vantage points, I think, are going to be free, that's kind of investing in the event itself and allowing it to grow. So I'm really curious to see how that works. And I am very optimistic that Detroit and a model like that can work. And I'm sure I'm forgetting some things. So those are some, kind of some things I have in my mind. Tell me what I'm missing before I, I go into some other uh, thoughts on this comment.
1: Well, I, I don't know how you can discount, you know, working with NBC to get 14 network races last year.
0: Excellent. Point. I mean,
1: that that's a huge get for, for the teams. You know, I, I, I look at, at the manpower. Uh, that management now has Michael Montre, Bud Denker, Jonathan Gibson. You look at the infrastructure of management that, that, uh, the Penske Entertainment Group, it's just a stronger group now. I mean, you know, you, before, you know, you had Mark Miles and Jay Fry and Doug Bowles, which by the way, you speak to stability and stability within the organization too. It didn't, you didn't go higher. You know, replace one of those individuals with, with somebody else. I, I just think it's stability within leadership. Um, and Allison Malangden can't, can't, uh, wouldn't want to forget her as well and her influence on particularly the speedway, but, uh, IndyCar as well. But, but just the look at all the sponsors. Uh, it's a healthier IndyCar, um, uh, you know, ecosystem. Uh, I just don't think you can discount those, the B2B relationships and so forth.
0: But we all have a lack of patience. And so let's address some of the other comments. Now, I will first say that I come at this from a little different perspective than some people. I tend to see another side of things. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with offering an opinion uh, like Cam FL did. Opinions are fine. I may offer a little dissenting opinion or at least a different opinion. Thought on that doesn't mean that I'm right. Doesn't mean that that Mitchell is right as well. But often my perspective as someone who's worked for teams, who's been close to the series as a, quote, partner of the series, and maybe it is I'm more of a homer, but it's it, it's something to be heard and either take it or leave it. But I, I would say this. It's it's really easy to ask Roger Penske and Penske Corp to just spend money. And I think there was an assumption when he bought it, oh, he's one of the wealthiest people in the world. He's going to throw all kinds of money at that, and that's going to fix all of our problems. So I think I would ask, why should Penske Entertainment and Roger Penske, in combination with his other businesses, operate this business any different than the others? Or wh- why should he operate this business any different than any other fortune 500 company or any business owner operates their business you spend money if you think you can make money and i understand the old adage you've got to spend money to make money but you are going to make a calculation do we think we can make money by spending this money if we don't then we probably shouldn't do it and and not just make a little bit of money but we need to have a chance to be able to make all of this money if not it's not going to help the bottom line in in that point. So, you know, I, I hope Roger will spend a lot of money, but I have a hard time saying you have to spend this money just to give it a go and sling it up against the wall and, and see if it works. It's I'm not sure his responsibility to spend the Penske Corporation money or his money to grow this other business. I hope he will. And I'm sure he already is spending a lot of that money, but I, I don't know that IndyCar as a whole is making money and it's still likely operating in a little bit of a loss. Well, I, th- I
1: think it's, I mean, uh, obviously I'm not going to go into the details of, of finances, but but I would speak to most of what Roger did in the first year of ownership had no return on investment. All of the infrastructure money that he spent wasn't about making money. It was about making the customer experience better. And, you know, I think without fail, particularly, I know this is a very local conversation, but Indianapolis Motor Speedway by all accounts is a better place for the customer experience than it was, you know, before Roger took over. The other thing I would say is look at the success of, of the, the Iowa Speedway doubleheader. The event that that became, it will become that again in 2023. Uh, you know, I think there were real doubts about Texas. There was real doubts about could Toronto come back after a couple years away. Those two events have have come back, and and we're seeing, you know, a more long term commitment, not a more long term commitment, but we're seeing a commitment from Texas Motor Speedway and and Penske Entertainment that ensures that an oval like Texas is going to be on the schedule and, and how that will work in the future. And I think these are all positive things. I think you can, it's easy to kind of look for things that are new and flashy and there will be some of those, but I also think it's, it's, it's short sightedness not to see the stability of a schedule that is, Largely the same year over year for a couple of years now. We talk about stability all the time and, and date equity and just having those, those things are extremely important to the vitality of, of the series.
0: Probably fair to point out that the Penske organization is not taken in full tickets for the Indy 500 yet, have they? I think 23
1: will be the first full. Yeah. Full under Rogers administration.
0: Last year was half, and those were people that had already paid in 2020 or 2021.
1: I don't know how the cycle goes. I'd have to sit back and think about it. But the point is, and I don't know if half is the right number for 2022, yeah, yeah, but I'm sure but there was in some 23 device, will be the first time of a of a full cycle of of ticket money uh, comes into the into the ecosystem.
0: So to what I hear a lot, and when I see a lot on Twitter is they, they just need to market. And, and I've had a lot of young drivers telling me that, well, they, they don't market. And and I'm getting to be like the grumpy old man and say, you know, I've been around here pretty much full time for almost 20 years now. And I've been hearing that from the, since the day I started, well, they don't know how to market. And okay. Tell me how to market. You can't just say market. I need some specific examples and ideas you can't just snap your fingers and say, we're going to market. So we, we need a little more detailed plans on where you're going to spend that money the best way. Uh, you, you can't just snap your fingers and get a third engine partner. You know, that takes some work. That takes someone else being willing to spend $50 million or whatever it is. People still don't think the TV deal is good enough, that it must be commercial free and every single race and every practice must be on network television. Uh, So how do you spend the money? Is it paying for a drive to survive type program? I'm sorry, but that's not going to have the impact as it did for Formula One. Uh, It'll help, but it's not going to be a difference maker. They got to it first. Other people have tried these similar shows, and they're not really making an impact. I think one is coming, and that'll be great, and it can help develop the personalities. But, you know, unless another pandemic comes at the same time and locks everybody in, and we finish the internet and run out of things to watch, that's not likely to be a huge difference maker. A weekly TV show, well, I'd love to be a part of that. would love to have one. That's probably not bringing in new viewers. That's satisfying the people that we already have. You know, could you do fewer commercials or no commercials? That's an interesting point that's been brought up. But someone's going to have to pay for that. And the owners already want more money, not less money from the TV deal. So if you don't allow them to sell commercials, then somebody has to pay that back. Maybe Penske Entertainment could consider that in the marketing budget to give some of that back. It'd be an interesting experiment. But again, uh, is that going to bring the ratings up 50%? If it brings them up 5%, that's not enough to forego the the rights fees that come with being uh, allowing your part, network partner to sell commercials.
1: Let's also talk about some other things. And I don't mean to talk about you know everything that, that is – you can't give credit to, to one individual for all of these things. But think about just in the recent few months, three race teams, three of the largest race teams in this series – are building new facilities, very grand facilities, in the Indianapolis market. Aero McLaren SP, Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan just opened this beautiful, is in finalizing the opening of that beautiful facility, and Andretti Autosport is making plans. That means they're healthy. That's the confidence. Or, that's confidence, and that's that's healthy organizations. You opened this show by talking about how we would have most of the 2023 IndyCar lineup set by Christmas and most of the Indy 500 field with uh, 34 likely competitors for the 2023 Indy 500 set by the end of 2022's calendar. Give me a year in the last 20 years where you've been able to say that. It just hasn't happened. Rahal Letterman is expanding. Dale Coyne Racing is talking about expansion. Uh, there there are others. Arrow uh, McLaren SP has just expanded. IndyCar as a competitive field is going to be larger in 2023 and has been growing with, with keep in mind, teams supposedly hurt by the pandemic. And two, Roger Penske hasn't added a car. In fact, he's downsized. So the car count has gone up without Team Penske fueling that, meaning, you know, four cars, five cars, six cars for uh, the team owned by Roger Penske. So you've got a healthy paddock. You've got healthy teams. You've got drivers who want to be here. Uh, you've got stability within the organization and, and the tracks. I, I, I don't know how much more you can ask for in a realistic sense.
0: Now, is it perfect? Are there things that not sh- should not be explored? No, I'm, I'm not saying that at all. I'm just, I think we're offering a different viewpoint here from some of the negativity that I've seen. And the negativity is fine because there, the, people are going to hear that and the people that can make decisions are going to decide whether that's valid and whether anything can be done about that. Uh, I hear a lot about, Hey, they, they've got to have a new car and I'd love to see a new car as well, but I also don't have to pay for it. And here's the question, if you're responsible for that decision, you're asking, is that going to grow the audience or is it going to satisfy the people that we already have? Now, there's something to that because you need to keep them satisfied or they might go away. We've seen that happen over the years, but it's it's not so simple. Is it going to be enough of a difference to account for the extra expense? You know, at some point you're going to have to do it. It's a matter of of when, not if. But those are some of the things that I think you're thinking about there. Um, just think there's another side of that. It's, it's not as simple. And there, there's another perspective on all of that. Uh, but that's the, the bottom line that I come up with that I hear, well, market better, but I'm not sure what that is. It's not like the old days. It's not buying radio commercials, you know, buying a Super Bowl commercial one. That's a waste of four million dollars. Uh Not everyone is going to be inclined to like car racing. So you got to find the people that do have a chance to like car racing and and get to that group. And there's a smart way to do it. But boy, they've had a lot of smart people throughout the years. And I'm sure some that weren't so smart, but it's. It's just a little bit challenging, and I guess I just have some empathy for the people that are tasked with trying to make those decisions. I've come to the point realizing that I'm not smart enough to do it. And by, by the way, here's probably the bottom line of all of that, um, going to back to the original point that uh, saying for Roger that the, the, the tweet said it's time to either step up or step off. I'm not willing To to show the arrogance that says, yes, I'm smarter than Roger Penske. You should listen to me instead of him. That'd be a bad idea. (laughs) Listen to me instead of him. So I'm, you know, that may be a cop out, but I'm gonna defer a little bit and hope they continue to try to hit some singles. Because I don't think the home run is out there right now.
1: Oh, I think I think stability and growth in the in the competitive in arena is is a huge home run. Jay Fry's done a great job with that. And and helping the teams and you know containing cost and always having a, a rolling five year plan, uh, it would be easy to jump off that train and just say, oh, let's scrap it and let's do something different. But but Jay has stuck to his his plan and and not just his plan because it's a it's a group plan, uh, but that group plan uh, where it involves the team owners and and the sponsors and largely the competitors, but everybody has bought in. And it's as it's as uh, it's an or, as organized and as unified of a paddock as as I've seen. And now I'm 35 years into this into this sport.
0: Okay, rambled kind of long there, so we'll wrap up hour one in a moment. Talk about what else is to come in hour two. A lot of nuggets that I haven't gotten to that we will do. Plus, Steve Matchett's still on the way tonight on the show. Trackside ninety three five one zero seven five. The fan.
3: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kiskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kiskali is right for you.
0: Okay, finishing up the first hour, some uh, quick notes before we get in to hour number two. Just some small nuggets I wanted to mention here. This isn't necessarily IndyCar, but it could be... Uh, it it has a connection. Meyer Shank Racing over the last couple of weeks has confirmed that they have an open seat for their IMSA WeatherTech sports car championship team, the top level class. And I'm wondering, might that be an opportunity for Ryan Hunter Ray? At least that was my first thought. But then I read the article from Sports Car 365 that says it's likely to come. I I think Mike actually said it will come from the drivers that have tested with us he wouldn't say who's tested, but Sports Car 365 named them, and Ryan's name wasn't on the list. It included people like Colin Brown, who's now looking for a, a new ride after his longtime co-entrant John Bennett announced his retirement from driving, Neil Johnny. Some might remember him from Champ Car. Mario Farnbacher, who is an excellent driver, who drove one of uh, Shank's championship GTD cars a couple of years ago, and a few others. So Ryan would make some sense there, but maybe he's already got something set for next year and they did announce that Leo will do all the endurance races in IMSA next year that's Daytona, Sebring and Petit Le Mans I can't remember if Watkins Glen is included in that or not and then Simon Pagino is also going to be a part of their program for the Rolex 24 so happy to hear that as the off season winds on one good thing is you're going to have a lot of IndyCar drivers testing in early December at Daytona Remember, new car next year and then the Rolex 24 the last couple of weekends of January. So that's good stuff. Uh Ricky Taylor, we've had on the show before in the studio. He completed an Ironman, the, the real long Ironman like Tony Kanon did. And it didn't get any pub on that. But I remember asking Ricky, who you've been working with? And then I confirmed Spencer Piggott did it with him as well. and Spencer finished. He wanted to be a little bit faster. Uh, I told him, uh, I said, I said, did you finish? And he said, yeah. So, yeah, he did did quite well. Maybe it was a half hour off of what he wanted it to be. But uh, super, super impressive. And Congratulations to them. Hour number two coming up in a little bit. We'll get you set for Steve Matchett and more next on Trackside. Ninety three five one oh seven five. The
3: fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
0: Hour number two, Trackside, 93.5107.5, The Fan in Indianapolis. Josh Molenix is in our studios on The Circle. Kevin Lee, Kurt Cavan, Steve Matchett. A longtime broadcaster for the Formula One races in America on Speed, Fox, FS1, and then NBC will join us. And he's done some other broadcasting work. He's covered Formula E for FS1 and FS2. He's done some Mecham shows. Uh, He's he's an author. His books are really good. I I recommend those as well. Uh, And we'll talk about what Steve's got coming up. A theater show with our buddy Lee Diffie and David Hobbs. It is worth the price of admission just to see. Think about this. David Hobbs unfiltered. He's pretty unfiltered on television. No one is in his ear telling him, stop saying that, David. So David is going to give you his truth on all matters, Formula One, outside Formula One. So that's coming up uh, at the end of the month, November 28th and 29th, first in Ridgefield, Connecticut, and then in Sellersville, Pennsylvania. Details you can find on social media. So, Kurt, we haven't gotten into this a whole lot. I, I know you did with Nathan Brown. I think I was off-cavorting doing something else, and we just touched on it just a little bit. But some nuggets that maybe have been mentioned on this show or have not about Colton Herta's contract extension, with Andretti Autosport, and a few days after the fact, I saw Jenna Fryer uh, post that uh, word on the street is the extension that Herta signed makes him the highest paid driver on the IndyCar grid, but will rank him mid-pack and F1 compensation, as in they paid big money to make sure if Herta goes to F1, it's with Andretti and Gainbridge. She also wrote that Herta told me this week that while he can leave Andretti for an F1 team, his new contract makes it a much more complicated exit. So to me, a lot of this makes a lot of sense. Make it to where eh, he may not really want to go. And as we've said before, I'm going to guess there are some clauses that allow Andretti the right to hang on to him if they wish.
1: I think it's good that they've they've really stepped up in a level financially that makes him want to stay. Um, Look, I don't think Colton Herta is driven by, you know, his bank account, but we all look at it and if we are low on the uh pay scale level and and obviously he's going to know because Brian Herda, his father is involved in the discussions about uh, you know team ownership and and so forth so he's going to have a sense for what the real market is out there among other other ways to find out but you know a happy driver is a productive driver if they've made the commitment to him and they're working towards Uh, Formula One and he has, he has a clause that allows him to get there if the team is, if the Andretti Autosport team is not able to get there themselves. Uh, I think that's, you know, all those things are positive for Colton. Um, he deserves to be paid well as, as these top drivers in the NTT IndyCar series, uh, deserve to be. And it's, and it appears driver salaries are indeed going up for a variety of reasons, and this is good for the ecosystem of the sport.
0: The number I heard would make him, and I've heard a number publicly, I heard a number that was less than that, but it was still more than any number I've heard since the, you know, Paul Tracy days uh, in in the end of 06, 07, when Paul was making 7 million, it's, it's less than that. Uh, from what I've heard, although I, I think that number has been thrown out there, I'd be surprised if it's that. But whatever, it's really good, and it might make Colton think if uh, you know a team near the back of the grid comes at an offer. Then eh, I'm not sure that I really want to do that. I'm I'm going to wait and see if Andretti has it, has an option there, or whatever the case may be, and there may be some clauses that can simply block him from doing that either way it's still good to be Colton Herta, no matter what happens for uh with him moving forward I see that Pato Ward is going to be getting his test weekend with McLaren this weekend at Abu Dhabi in the finale and I think Pietro Fittipaldi is still due for another free practice one with Haas I know that was originally on the schedule so I think that is still the case for him couple of other nuggets and we're gonna talk more F1 in a little bit um Today it was confirmed that the uh Joe Gibbs team is going to choose Ty Gibbs to replace Kyle Busch but not in the 18 car. He'll stay in the 54 car and I think that's smart to leave that car dormant for a little while.
1: Yeah, I think so too and uh, obviously no no surprise that Ty is on his way up in the in the team uh pecking order and and obviously has a has a bright future uh with the organization. So we'll see what we'll see how Kyle ends up you know relative to Indy 500 but uh all things well on on this front
0: kind of keeps him from being compared so much to Kyle Busch yeah. Here, here's what i like about it from the fan's perspective it's always difficult at the beginning of the year to identify, you know, it probably it won't be the m&m's car, so it'll be much easier. It'll be a different looking car, but let's just make it easy for everybody and let Kyle Bush get settled into his new car and then they can roll out the 18 again, which has a lot of history with Gibbs in 2024, if they like. All schedules impact all schedules, no matter the racing series. So I think this applies to our world as well. This has kind of been on my um notebook for a while and haven't brought it up, but I um uh, I saw something on Twitter That according to Candace Spencer, a well-known writer, I looked for it at the time, I couldn't find that she wrote it anywhere, so I think she probably said it in a radio interview or something like that, that there is a chance for 40 points races plus two exhibition races in the future for the Cup Series. Some of their leaders have already been on record of saying, Steve Phelps, for example, our 24 schedule, I think, will probably be the most aggressive schedule we've ever had in terms of continuing to get variation I won't talk about what it is because I'm not sure, but all things are on the table at that point. You know, at the first thought, you'd think, how can you expand this schedule that lasts forever? But here's an idea that I had that may, because what they're trying to do is they're still trying to find value for their TV partners, satisfy all the sponsors. You know, the drivers want fewer races, but they probably don't want to take pay cuts. Why not just shorten races? Uh, and maybe you do add in a few weeknight races in a location that is close to where the next stop is and provide more content for TV. I think they are really in this next TV contract, which is going to start being negotiated. Oh, anytime, certainly for next year, it's got two years left. They're going to want to get a streaming partner involved in some fashion, if for no other reason than to just make NBC and Fox pay more. You know, whether they really plan on going to Apple or Netflix or Amazon, they at least need them to make a big bid to force NBC and Fox to to pay some more. But if you are trying to create another package, maybe you do do some more races and maybe a weeknight race is a full two hour television show, kind of like what SRX did. And you just have some you have some modest expectations. You figure out a way to do it a little bit more cost effective so the first reaction in my mind would be how can you add more races? I think this might I understand why they're thinking of this, I guess would be my point.
1: Yeah, I think so too. By the way, the the TV schedule relative to NASCAR came out. I believe that was today, correct? Um, no, I think it came out last week. So I I must have really gotten into the I had a note to look at it and then I found it. So maybe that was last week, but but one one thing that that I found Important for IndyCar is that that Chicago street race, which is going to be a big watch is going to be a 530 start. Uh, that weekend is, is IndyCar's Mid Ohio weekend. Mid Ohio will be early in the day. And I was just afraid okay. that that Chicago street race might be, uh, you know, truly head to head with IndyCar. And, uh, that is not the case. Another opportunity is that, uh, that IMS road course race in May. Darlington races on Sunday that weekend. So that that's that's a good thing and and then to start the season, IndyCar's start to the season in St. Pete will be, you know, tends to be early afternoon. Uh NASCAR races at 3:30 in Vegas that day. So or at least that's when the broadcast comes on. So that yeah. that would be good. There's some places where I think IndyCar as a series should be happy uh with with the way things fell. Uh and so A couple of those, you know, are pointed out now at the end of the season. There's, there's a bad one in that IndyCar's season finale with Laguna Seca will be a 330 start. NASCAR will race at Kansas head to head on a time slot. So that, that won't be great.
0: Oh, and that little league that does a television show, the NFL will be on at the same time as well. So Yeah,
1: that's not gonna go well. You
0: know, I, I hear people, oh, the season finished in a fizzle, the TV ratings went down at the end. You're just you're not going to have a good television rating in that circumstance. So it is what it is, as they say. Um, but as we've talked about before, I understand why it still happens. It's still on network TV. Um, you're entertaining the people at the track. It's tough to get around that. I think we don't stop, have to all understand you're going to take one on the chin for that one at that, that time of the year. All right. Uh, I want to save some time to get to Steve Matchy coming up in just a moment. We'll, we'll talk some things about F1. Remember, he worked with the likes of Michael Schumacher. So I'll let Steve tell a few stories and what happens at one of these, uh, theater shows that they do coming up after the season is over, which is, uh, next weekend. It's trackside 9351075, the fan. (laughs)
3: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclib 200mg at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
0: Hi, this is Colton Herda and you're listening to Trackside on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Thanks for staying with us as Trackside continues, 93.5, 107.5 The Fan in Indianapolis. Hey, the racing offseason is almost here. I know it's been here for a little while for IndyCar. Now NASCAR has hit it. And after next weekend, F1 will take their break. That means we're closer to the start of 2023. And one of the things we've mentioned before in years past is coming back this year for our F1 friends with uh, the old team from NBC, Lee Diffie, David Hobbs. And Steve Matchett will be gathering in a couple of different locations, again, coming up right after Thanksgiving, November 28th, in Ridgefield, Connecticut, and then November 29th in Sellersville, Pennsylvania, the Sellersville Theater that's just a little bit north of Philadelphia for their Inside F1 2022 year-in-review. And the GOAT, Ricky Carmichael, is going to be their special guest. We'll talk more details on that in just a moment. And we have the opportunity to visit with our friend, Steve Matchin now. Steve, how are you? It's great to visit with you.
2: I'm very well, Kevin. I'm doing very well, and thank you very much for the invite onto your show. How are you doing? All good.
0: I'm doing good. It's cold. Uh, it was it was just 75 <laughs> degrees about three days ago, and I miss it already. And I've had uh, enough of winter, so I like talking about race cars as much as we can. So we'll talk <laughs> about the show and get some of your thoughts on current Formula One. But you know, everybody misses you guys on the Formula One broadcast. So those that aren't paying close attention. I know I've seen you some on Formula E on Fox in the last few years. I've seen you do some Meekum shows. Kind of tell people what uh, keeps you busy these days, what you're involved with.
2: Well, as far as uh, TV work is concerned, now it's really uh, Um I-, I enjoyed very much working with the uh, my old um, boss, Frank Wilson, down at Fox Sport 1 when we were doing the Formula E series. Um, helped him out for a few of those races, which was great fun. Uh, but now that's moved off onto a, to, to a different network, so that released me from duties with with Fox. But um, I still enjoy working with Mecom. I'm always extremely thrilled whenever I get a call from Mecom's office to say, "Hey, will you come along to Kissimmee? Will you come along to Indianapolis or out to Monterey?" To um, typically um, where they have a number of European cars, Ferraris, Lamborghinis, that sort of thing, Porsche. Um, that's more my wheelhouse than the American muscle, but that's certainly something that mekem are are getting into more and more with their auctions is the cars over from europe and uh, yeah, it gives me a great opportunity to be around the cars still still um enjoy that very much and you know i'm always I'm always just amazed whenever I go to a me I event mean, kevin it's just the the array and the range of stuff that they have. Again, cars from American classics from the 50s to American muscle in the 60s and the 70s, right through to, um, you know, the, the latest McLaren, for example. So great range of cars. And they're always very welcoming as well, which is a, is a is a great thing for me. So I enjoy working with those guys very much.
0: We need to make sure that you get an invite to the Indianapolis show in May, and then we can have you come and visit with our gang again at some point. That That coincides nicely with... Uh, Indy 500 practice that week. So we look forward to that and hopefully we, we get that taken care of a little bit down the road. So I'd like uh, that. I I think a lot of the Formula One fans will remember seeing Steve and David and Diff and David Hobbs before that. Um, sorry, the Bob Varsha before that on F1 speed and, and Fox. But for those that, that don't know, Steve was a very successful mechanic for Benetton, which eventually what became Renault, where Fernando Alonso won his championships, which is now. The Alpine team, it's where Schumacher won his first two titles. You want a constructor's title there. And uh, so Steve knows what he's talking about when he asks him these questions. He's not just a a broadcasting talking head. So let's speak to George Russell uh, winning his first one this past weekend. And to do it, he had to beat the winningest driver of all time in the same car. And he's ahead of Hamilton in points. How good can can Russell be?
2: Well, uh, judging by what we've seen so far this season, Kevin, I mean he could go on to win many many world championships he clearly is very gifted uh he has a natural gift into the, with the car and um for some this is his first full season with, with with Mercedes and as you rightly say to go up against Lewis Hamilton In a car which started out um, being far from successful because of the porpoising issues, which we can get into a little bit later about the suspension moving with the new aero rules, George Russell has adapted himself very, very quickly. And it must be under a lot of pressure from Hamilton because the team know Hamilton very well. Um, The mechanics, the engineers are very familiar with Hamilton being around and Hamilton's desires for how he wants the car set up. Russell's adapted to it incredibly fast. And to take that, a victory in his first year there, um, I think is remarkable stuff. So in, in, in quick summation, in answer to your question, I think we are seeing a major talent being launched um, into Formula One.
0: And you can speak to seeing a future great win his first. You were there when Schumacher won his first. Do you have recollections of that and what his feeling was, what his confidence level was at that point in his career?
2: I do, yes. I mean, I I don't know um, George Russell. Um, um, We've never chatted, so I can't speak to his psyche, his personality, the way he approaches racing. But I do feel when I see him in the car, he seems so relaxed and so at ease, which is is a fundamental key uh, to any great driver is their ability to adapt to the team. And, um, yeah, so your comments about Michael Schumacher, as soon as he joined the team, um, which was in 1991, and he took that first win uh, the year later in '92 at Spa, but instantly Michael got into the car. He had that same sort of relaxed, positive attitude where he wanted to get to know everybody on the team. It didn't matter from what strata within the team he was talking to, whether... It was the truck drivers driving the equipment and the cars around Europe, or whether it was the chief engineers, the aerodynamicists, the mechanics, the catering staff. It didn't matter. He 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 wanted to become part of that team. He wanted to bond with everybody, and I see that in Russell. I see that same thing, and that's a it's a vital key. Um, unfortunately, you know, we're talking about how, how drivers bond with a team and uh, the way that uh, young Max Verstappen. Um, Reacted to his teammate at the, la- at the last race, uh, yes, only yesterday, I thought it was really very strange, um, how he wouldn't assist, uh, in Brazil, uh, to get, uh, uh, Perez those extra points that he needed to help him try and secure the second spot in the drivers' championship. I thought it was bordering on the surreal, quite frankly. And it's something that could well come back to bite Max Verstappen next year. Um, let's see, uh, how that develops. But, you have to get on with your teammate. The Stappard has just won the drivers' championship. The team has just won the constructors' championship. But the one thing, if I have my stats right, that the Red Bull have never been able to achieve is both championships and finish one-two in the drivers' championship. And, mm-hmm. it, and it's right there for the for the taking. We've kind of veered off a little bit from Russell onto how drivers react. But um, the, the hallmark to me of a of a of a world champion, a, a real one of the greats in the sport is is they understand that they are part of a team. They have to be part of that team. You have to gel everybody around them, and that includes your teammate. You have to get your help and support from your teammate. And if they, let's say, for example, that Red Bull have a very tight championship next year, Kevin, and it comes down because Mercedes seem to be coming on song now with their car late in this season. If it comes down to just a few points next year. Um, Verstappen is going to be looking for help from his teammate. Well, if you're his teammate, how are you going to react to that? <laughs> it's an interesting proposition. You
0: know, this was on my mental list of topics to get to. Uh, and, you know, the one thing that I think you can think about this from Verstappen's standpoint is he knows that he's the best driver in the world right now. He beat... Hamilton straight up stomped him this year. No one's come close. And I'm sure he feels like he can do what he wants. And yes, there is that fear that the teammate won't help him. But if it's to help the team get the driver's championship, the team is going to take care of that. And and I think he probably knows deep down that it may not come back to bite him, that that teammate, assuming he's not battling him head up for the championship, if, for example, he's third or fourth, and needs to simply give up a position to help Verstappen win, he's gonna to have to do it.
2: Yeah, it's a very awkward situation, but I, I think it's it you it's very undesirable to have two drivers yes. that simply don't get on with one another. It doesn't yep. it doesn't help the team. Now, it is always a very difficult challenge for the engineering staff and particularly senior management within a team when drivers do start squabbling with each other but it is also possible to get the very best out of those drivers when they are at longer hits with each other but to me and again my my view may be somewhat skewed and biased because I've worked directly with a Formula One team and I've I've been fortunate enough to be with the team when we're winning races and winning championships you have to get on together you have to bond you have to become one you know you have to become a one item effectively now here's a little example of that I um, I've never worked with young Max Verstappen but I have worked with his dad Jos Verstappen and he was my driver throughout 1994 when uh, Michael was winning his first championship now I don't know if you can recall what happened in the Hungarian Grand Prix of 94 towards the end, but the result uh, was Michael won the race and Jos Verstappen, Max's dad, finished third. Well, the only reason Jos Verstappen managed to finish third and stand on the podium that race is because Michael had such a commanding lead in that race that while in the closing laps he's controlling the car and taking care of business, he's also contemplating and formulating a way to help his teammate, Max's father Joss get on the podium and I can remember him being on the radio and saying to Ross Braun who was our technical director at the time um, and he said to him, if we by this time Michael was a full lap ahead of the field so everybody else was basically a lap down and, and so he gave the call, he gave the advice to the and pitler, and he said if you get um, Yoss to unlap himself from me and um, and chase after Martin Brundle, who was in the McLaren, and they were using the Peugeot engine that year, and the Peugeot engine was having all sorts of reliability issues. Michael said, if you, if you get Yoss to push and therefore unlap himself from Michael, and if on the last lap McLaren have a problem and Brundle's car fails – we will be able to get Yoss onto the podium. Well, almost unbelievably, Kevin, that is precisely what happened. Mm. They unlapped him. They, they, the team asked Yoss to him lap, lap himself from Michael. And in the closing lap, the McLaren failed. And that is that's the idea to me of a brilliant team leader and a multiple world champion in Michael Schumacher working his best for the team. He didn't need to do that. But I mean, he's also running his own race. That's the most incredible thing about this. It wasn't that the pit wall and the engineering staff on the pit wall came up with this plan. It was Michael in the car as he's leading the Grand Prix, and that to me is makes the difference between a brilliant, great world champion and you know the rest of them. And I think that's the lesson that Max needs to learn. You need to work with your team. You cannot stand alone like that. It doesn't work long term. It's going to get you.
0: Steve Matchett is joining us. Long time. Formula one broadcaster in America for Fox, Speed and NBC, also an author and former Formula one mechanic. So as we look ahead to next season, you're paying more close attention than I am. Uh, you talked about the porpoising was one of the big stories at the beginning of this mm. year. Do we, ex- what's going to be different in the cars? What are the things that people are already talking about that is going to determine what constructor has the advantage going into 2023?
2: well i think for for the benefit of all of us um, now we've had that that big technical change the idea of introducing ground effects back into the design styling of the underbody of the car and the uh, bigger wheel rims and the bigger tires and now we've now the teams have had a full 12 months to get over that we should start seeing the teams will be much much closer to each other there is a sort of golden rule an unwritten rule at I guess, in Formula One that, you know, if you're going to be competitive in Formula One, the car has to be correct at its first test. And then you're just carrying out minor tweaks to the engineering of the car throughout the season. And we saw that with Red Bull this year. And Mercedes, conversely, were playing catch-up for way too long with that car and it's affected it's it's affected everything the drivers championship and the constructors championship um as they were working to try and get a solution to that porpoising issue but having done that and having now got used to the way that the new tires react i think we'll see the teams much closer together so what will that do for us in terms of an exciting championship in 23 it will bring the car's I believe, much closer together from the first race, the first lap of the first race. So we should see, I'm hoping, that we see a three-way championship battle between uh, the three big names. Ferrari, we always like to see Ferrari, um, at least in the battle in Formula One. and um, I think that's a very good thing for the sport, to see Ferrari there, and Mercedes and, and, and Red Bull. The others... You know, whether it's Alpine or, or McLaren or anybody else will be trying to, you know, move up through the field. But I think we'll see. I'm hoping that we'll see a good close championship battle between those three big constructors. Yeah.
0: Formula One right now in America is as popular as it ever has been, maybe more so. I would say that they started to gain some notoriety. And I'm going to give you and Diff and Habo and will Buxton some credit because I think it was starting to build when NBC took over the contract and more races were on network television and the effort that was put on. And then I've talked about this before here. I think it was uh, somewhat the perfect storm. You had the Netflix show, then you had COVID, then you had commercial free broadcast simply because they didn't want to invest in their own broadcast. And now we're wary at that. It's the hot thing. What, what do you make of all of this surge? And how do you, um how do you, kind of look at this from, wait a minute, this this was our gig seven or eight years ago, and we were doing a special broadcast for America, and now these guys are the new hot thing.
2: Well, I, I think, personally, I think, it's, I think it's wonderful. Anything that promotes the sport and, and um, advances the sport to an American audience is something that I've always been very passionate about in the 22 years that I've been around American television. Uh, I think you're right. I think um, uh, the sport has been... Open to a whole new audience. And I think a lot of that has come from the Netflix show Drive to Survive. Um, But also, the new owners of the sport, Liberty Media, have worked very hard to promote the sport in a far better way than it has been before. Um, Dear old Bernie Eccleston, um, you know, made the sport along with others. Um, Sir Ron Dennis, for example, from McLaren, made the sport this pinnacle of international motorsport and made it a very professional organization to, to the extent that when you look inside the pit garages, they look like operating theaters. I mean, there's nothing out of place. Everything looks absolutely pristine and brand new all the time. And um, um, And well done to the old school managers and team owners for making Formula One. This, this pinnacle of international motorsport. Great. But they were, they, they, and I'm not really pointing the finger at anybody in particular, it's just the way the sport was run. But Formula One uh, were very on the back foot at promoting the sport in the United States. I don't know if that was some potential conflict of egos between um, the owners of Formula One and the owners of IndyCar, for example. I don't know. It's just a, it's a possibility. I don't know the answer to that. But finally, I think Liberty Media really have, have, have really seized the opportunity to sell the sport in America. And as we all know, you know, for many decades, everybody uh, wants to sell in America, be it the Beatles or BMW, you know, there's your the market. You've got to sell to the American audience. And I think it's terrific that, um, it's, it's got this great exposure. And of course, more and more races in the United States coming on board next year in 23. Um, Liberty Media Formula One have done a deal with Las Vegas to actually put a race down the center of the strip, not running in a car park as it's been done decades ago, but to actually, and, and, and for the first time to my knowledge as well, Kevin, uh, Formula One have bought real estate in, in yeah. Las Vegas uh, and they're going to develop that. So that's a, that's a great first, I think, for the sport. So if if formula one are investing literally millions of dollars in that one venue uh, for Las Vegas you can see um, that they are very serious about promoting the sport in in America in a way that they simply never did before so I appreciate your very kind words to say you know um, the formula one broadcasters of old in the states did their best to try and promote it and I, and we had a lot of fun doing that but to explain to expose the sport to a bigger audience can only be a good thing. Uh, I'm all for it. Whatever, whatever ESPN do in the future, or if it goes to another network in the future to ex- to expand that. Um, and of course, that, that, um, commercial free, uh, screening of the, of the race, um, has been a huge benefit to ESPN. Um, and I think that's also been a big factor. Now, I'd be interested in hearing your opinion on this whether or not you agree with that as as the oh, commercial free exposure of the race made a big difference I think it has personally
0: Oh I think it's it's been huge it's um yeah. you know this sport is difficult because there aren't natural breaks so that makes it a challenge Right and it basically came about because they didn't really know how to break away from yeah. an international feed that that doesn't take breaks. So that became the alternative when, after the first uh, race in the ESPN era, there was outrage at just randomly going to break and come back three minutes later. And wait a minute, why is the leader of the race not there and they're not talking about yeah. it? So that worked out well. But you are right that there was a strategy. Liberty. People have talked forever about, yes, we need America, but they never really did anything about it. This group is doing things About it and their digital strategy and the other other efforts that they have made have helped bring on that to where they are now. So and and we all still think that uh, people watching motorsport is good for other forms of motorsports. We're all for it. Tell me about the yeah. shows that, that you guys do in Connecticut and Pennsylvania. You've been doing this for a few years now and the band is back together again. What normally happens at these inside F1 year and review shows?
2: <laughs> well, what normally happens, Kevin, we just have a lot of fun. I mean, it's great for us to be back, you know, back together again. It's been a while since we've been on stage together. Um, but our stage shows do seem to be very popular. Again, I think. Going back to our previous little talk there about the expansion of the audience and the core audience, if you like, in America, if there's one thing that America as has had for a number of years, it's that very knowledgeable core fan base for mm-hmm. Formula One. And I, I do get very irritated when folks on the opposite side of the Atlantic say, oh, the Americans have never had any interest in Formula One. That's absolutely false. It's, it's, it could not be further from the truth. It was a relatively small audience, but a very passionate, very knowledgeable audience who understood the sport, understood the regulations to a degree, understood the history of the sport. And so there is that very passionate fan base. So when we get together on stage, yes we'll discuss the, the we'll discuss the uh, the season that's just passed or just about to just about to pass into history the 22 season and we'll discuss what we think may happen in the 23 season but we also you know just like to have a, a bit of a giggle and a laugh and take questions from the audience and of course you know, no one can control David Hobbs. So to have <laughs> David Hobbs on stage without any limitations of working for a network is is bound to be a big attraction. You know, you can't control him, and as 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 we've all seen him and, and loved him over the years um, on, on TV, is is how he is all the time. You know, I've been very fortunate to um, to count him as a friend, and whenever we've been out to dinner, he's exactly the same at dinner as he is on the TV set. And I think our audience like that, like the sort of approachable uh, nature of of and, and diff is the same, Lee's exactly the same, very down to worth people. And uh, so I just think it's a sort of it's almost like a bit of a social gathering more than anything, just yes. to, just to be there. You know what? You, you know, build it and they will come. So you know, t- to go back to a theatre and just say, hey, here, here we are on the twenty eighth and twenty ninth, and and 28th, we're in Ridgefield. 29th, we're down in Sellersville. And folks just come along just to be a part of it, I think. And that's great. I love it.
0: Well, one of the coolest things about this job is the ability to have dinner with you and Hobbo and Diff and our IndyCar friends and the NASCAR group is all the same. And our dinners, I think, are really engaging and entertaining. And that's kind of where you and and Lee and David got the idea. Let's do this in front of a crowd and kind of invite them in. To yeah. the conversation so uh, i i think it would be fascinating and i'm i'm still threatening to come but i'm waiting for the miami one so i, I need a warmer locale late in november so <laughs> i may not make this one but i told diff today hey next year can we do miami again because i think you did that a few <laughs> years ago
2: we did yes we did <laughs> and uh, we would love i mean I, on social media the only social media i use is twitter and uh, I, I see comments whenever we're promoting our theatre events, and I, I, it's perfectly understandable. We see a lot of comments from folks saying, hey, what about over on the West Coast? What about us? Don't forget us. And, yes, we would dearly love to do some live theatre shows over on the West Coast. And the problem that we have, of course, is the logistics of it. Yep. Um, we're all doing different things, but most especially Lee's uh TV schedule is very tight he seems to be doing endless events all over the place, so he has very little free time away from nBC but also of course we have to get over to the west coast and there is the cost involved in doing that so we have to factor that into ticket prices and to be able to it doesn't it 's very difficult to go over to the west coast to do one or two shows we'd have to string a series of shows together for the logistics to make sense so it's it 's unfortunate but um, we, we don't think that we, we, we don't want to go to the West Coast, folks, and don't think we, we won't go to the West Coast. We we would love to do it. We just have to figure out a way to, to, to make it work. But because all of us uh, uh, just happen to be on the East Coast, uh, it just works out easier, both logistically and for, for Lee's schedule, to be able to do these couple of shows over here. But um, they're always well attended. Wherever we've had a show... Um, they've always been very well attended. But the overwhelming reaction from our audience is it's just great to spend some time with you. because you know? <laughs> one of the comments that we get a lot, and I've had it, and it's it's a really very it's emotionally touching, is I hear from folks when they think about our broadcast, both with um, Speed or with Fox or with NBC. Uh, I hear this a lot, that they say, the audience say, it's like having three friends together sitting around the, the fireside in, a, in an English pub just chatting about the race or down the coffee shop and having a coffee and watching the race. We feel like we're involved. We feel like it's a show for America. And and that's wonderful because that's exactly what we wanted to do. We wanted to make yeah. a, a Formula One broadcast for an American audience. And I do feel if there if there is a weakness at the moment in um, the the current coverage of formula one it's i don't think the show is geared sufficiently towards an american audience it's a world feed Mm -hmm. and i understand the limit we will understand how world feeds work you've got to you've got to accommodate every broadcasting market in the world to do that but i do feel like a a pre-race show and a post-race show analyzing the race for an American audience would be a great addition to what ESPN is currently doing, but that's just my opinion, you
0: know? Uh, The Ridgefield show that's Ridgefield, Connecticut. So it's not too far from Stanford. It's not that far from New York city, November 28th at the playhouse, the Ridgefield playhouse. And then the next night, the Sellersville theater in Pennsylvania. So that's a little bit North of Philadelphia. It's not that far from New York as well. Uh, You can go to all the social media channels and find more at Mr. Steve Matchett, at Lee Diffie. David Hobbs' uh, channel has it as well. Do a Google search for Inside F1 2022 year in review. And I would also encourage people to look up Steve's books for Christmas. I know I've read the first two. It's been a while, but they were fascinating. And I, I need to get back to actually reading books instead of just reading Twitter I don't think I've read The Chariot Makers, <laughs> so I need to put that on my to-do list, but I love yeah, well, Life in the Fast Lane and The Mechanic's that. Tale. Yeah, they yeah. were they were awesome. Uh, those yeah, are sure. still um, available. You can order those yeah. online.
2: They're still available. Everything, if you just go to Amazon.com, that seems to be the world's marketplace. So that's where I, I sell the books now. But also, uh, over the last few years, I've also turned every one of them into an audio book as well. So if you look oh. at Audible.com, uh, I think I have currently eight audio books out there. So for folks who don't have sufficient time to sit down and, and, and read a fairly long book, uh, 100,000 words plus, um, it's all there on Audible. And um, I have to say, you know, I think I think audio books is the future of publishing. When I look at um, the success of audible.com and all other audio books, at one point, it wasn't that long ago, not to get sidetracked here, Kevin, but I'm always fascinated by publishing, you know, as a, Published a few books. Not so long ago, um, mainstream publishers and my publishers over in UK were Biden and Nicholson and Orion. So, relatively big concerns um, had relatively no little to no interest in audiobooks. But now audiobooks have become a huge part of the market. And I see that, you know, when I look at sales of Print copies versus audiobook copies. Audiobooks are, the, are seemingly the future of the sport, uh, future, spo- future of the business, future of publishing. So, yes, audiobooks are out there. So if you'd like me to wow. quietly read to you and lull you to sleep, you know, they're there.
0: <laughs> I may have to Thank try that. Book, I will admit I have never done an audiobook. I guess I feel like that would be cheating. <laughs> I want to say I read the thing, but yeah. maybe I'll have to do that at some point. Now's
2: the time. Now's the yeah.
0: time, <laughs> Hey, Steve, it's great to catch up with you. You never know. I might show up in Ridgefield and just surprise everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Good to talk to you. It's
2: it's great fun. Thanks. This has been great fun. And and thanks for talking. And hopefully we'll see you soon.
0: Yeah, thanks. Steve Matchett, uh, longtime broadcaster, author, and former Formula One mechanic. Stay with us. We'll see what we missed and more coming up. Trackside 93.5, 107.5.
3: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.
0: Okay, final segment, and we'll finish where we got started. Well, not started, but where we spent some time an hour or so ago from... Cam Soup FL's tweet essentially uh, asking and, and somewhat criticizing the actions of Penske Entertainment since taking over. And Kurt and I offered, uh, obviously, a different slant than what some people have. But I think there are a lot of positives going on right now. But I understand not everybody thinks that way. So uh, Mitchell's question then from that was, "What's the plan going forward?" And I've heard that asked to hear recently people wondering wanting some declarative statement of what's going to happen you know i think people want to hear exactly when is the new car going to be introduced and things like that maybe a state of the sport is needed those can be helpful and they're good pr if they're done well but maybe think about it this way too are they really always that substantive or is it just spin and talking points and having a skilled talker is it just buzzwords Is it winning the press conference like we talk about in sports? So maybe those things are important, and I'd be all for it. I enjoy it as well. Um, But maybe there is a philosophy, let's just work on doing things rather than talking about doing things. Previous executives were admonished at times by fans for talking about things coming that didn't happen. There's not many leaks in the Penske Entertainment world, Penske Corp. Uh, There is a business mindset, and I think it's, Let's get it done, and then we'll announce it, and then we'll talk about it. Uh, so it's not for me to speak to what their plan is, but, you know, it always seems kind of obvious. The plan is always what it has been, and someone can word this better than than me, but, it, you know, it's something along the lines of we want to deliver an entertaining product for our fans. We want to maximize the revenue possibilities for our stakeholders, and there's more to it than that, but I'm not sure that the plan is really changing. I'm not sure you're reinventing The business model uh i'd love more content i'd love to hear exactly what's coming but i'm not sure unless they have something ready to announce it has a huge impact discourse is always good and not everyone is going to agree and i i still look for smarter people than me to figure all this out so We'll see what comes from this and, and what ideas are on the horizon. We're out of time. Thanks to Steve Matchett for coming on the show. For Kurt and for Josh Molenix in our studio, I'm Kevin Lee. Off next week and then the last uh, Tuesday in November from 8 until 9. Thanks for joining us on 93.5, The Fan.